First Kings chapter 16. First Kings chapter 16. First Kings chapter 16. I've got note cards and stuff everywhere up here. I'm not sure what all this is for. They're blank. All right, 1 Kings chapter 16. And we're going to get uh, to our, to our um, text passage here in a couple chapters, actually. And I like to do this. Uh, a lot of times, uh, preachers will give you a background kind of what they're talking about, and we're going to do that tonight. But I want you to try to sort of follow along with me. We're going to start right at the end of chapter 16 and into uh, chapter 17. And this is going to be a... Uh, it's definitely going to be a mix of some Bible study and some preaching tonight, uh, some teaching, um, but we're going to get right into it. And then uh, we'll have an introduction here, and then we'll pray in a few minutes. But 1 Kings chapter 16, uh, we have described right here at the end of this, this chapter uh, some, some very, very poor character of the people of Israel and the kings of Israel. Uh, and you'll see that. Uh, really in, in all of chapter 16, but starting in 25, verse 25, but Omri wrought evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all that were before him. He walked in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and, and in his sin, wherewith he made Israel to sin, to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger with their vanities. And, and it's just really bad kings uh, in the end of chapter 16. But then we have one that we, we uh, are very familiar with, at the end of 16, and we have Ahab, Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab takes over uh, at the end of chapter 16, and it says in verse 32, And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. That's a statement. I mean, he just said in verse 25, Omri wrought evil in the eyes of the Lord, worse than all that were before him, and Ahab takes it up a level. He did, he's worse than all the, or uh, he reared up an altar and it says to provoke the Lord of the God of Israel to anger more than all the kings of Israel that were before him. And so uh, then we get to chapter 17. This is very interesting uh, because most of our prophets, think of Samuel, the prophet Samuel. We know all of his background. In fact, we know years before he was born, we have some history of his parents and, uh, and his, his mom, Hannah, praying for him. And then uh, at a very young age, she takes him to the temple, gives him to be a help there in the temple, and then brings him a coat every year and, and, and so on and so forth. In chapter 17, this is the first time we hear of Elijah. And boom, Elijah lands on the scene. Elijah the Tishbite, was a, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, that's all the background we have of him, said unto Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew or rain these years, but according to my word. I think it's interesting that he comes on the scene quickly like this because he also leaves the earth quickly in, in a chariot of fire. So he comes on quickly, leaves quickly. Um, but the Bible does say in Hebrews he was a man of like passions as we are. So he was a man. He wasn't like he was a, an angel doing God's work. Uh, but we have Elijah in, in chapter 17 comes on the scene here and he stands before uh, Ahab and he says in verse one, there shall not be new nor rain these years, but according to my word. 
And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And I'm going to make a point, too, uh, because we'll get to it later in the message, that Elijah never moves, he never goes unless God directs him. Every time he goes to do something new, it's because God told him, go do this. And then he moves, moves on and goes and does that. I mean, he stood before Ahab because of the same reason. Uh, God sent him there to stand before Ahab and to tell him it's not going to rain. And then he tells him, go to the brook Cherith, uh, and, and uh, that's before Jordan, and it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and we'll get there in just a second. But I think it's, it's interesting that with I made a point that in, in chapter 16, Israel was so wicked and the kings of Israel were so wicked because God raises up a man in, in a really evil time who has zero shame before these kings. He is going to tell them what God told him to say, and he's not afraid of them. And I think, uh, you know, um, I think often we, we think these men of God, Paul in particular, and I think Brother Josh mentioned it, on Sunday morning that Paul, Paul was not this strapping man that, you know, because the, the Bible even says that. They were surprised. The, he had these weighty letters, but he's, but he's so small is kind of what they said. Uh, and I, I think Elijah probably was a pretty, rough, a pretty rough guy. He would have probably been in the clothes that the prophets would have worn. Kind of, they would have known this guy is different, uh, <clears throat> and he's a man of God. But God brought him on the scene in, in a very, very crucial time in Israel, Israel's history. And uh, we also know Elijah had the honor of being the first prophet to be translated, just like Enoch was, without seeing death. Uh, he, was also, he also had the honor of, same honor as Moses did, of seeing Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. So Elijah's, Elijah's a very important uh, prophet. Uh, but here's the interesting thing about Elijah is many prophets prophesied and wrote. We have lots of prophetic books and books from the prophets. Elijah never wrote any books, not that are recorded for us, that, that we have. Um, but he has lots of things that he did in the Bible that are recorded. Um, so another, that's another thing, interesting thing, I think, about Elijah. He was God's man. He was there for a very specific time to take care of these specific problems. Uh, and then God translates him to heaven, takes him home. Um, but I think it's also, you, you, we hear the phrase in the Bible, the balm of Gilead. I think it's interesting, Elijah's from Gilead. Uh, he, he is the balm that this very wounded Israel needed for this time. Uh, they, were, they were far from God and not really worried about being far from God. In fact, the, the kings are trying to outdo each other in their wickedness, and God sends this, this balm uh, from Gilead in the, in the form of Elijah. And, uh, but, but Elijah, the Bible tells us, was a fiery, passionate preacher. Um, but God sent him for such a time as this because this, this, this people, his, his people, were, were very obstinate. Uh, and in fact, they were passionate about their sin. And we see that with Ahab in verse uh, 33. He did more of chapter 16. He did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel. He's passionate about his sin. Uh, and Jezebel had, had a lot to do with that, uh, and that's, that's for another time. But um, So here we have, uh, first thing I want you to see in chapter 17, in verse 1, he comes on the scene, stands before Ahab, and then he goes uh, at the command of God to the brook Cherith. And we see that in verses 3 through 6, and this is where I want you to follow along. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through these pretty quickly. 
uh, at the command of God, he goes to the brook Cherith. And what do we know about at the brook Cherith? What happened? God, God provides for him, right? And I think it's important to note that God sustains him when he obeys his command. So he goes here. Now remember, there's a, there's a famine in the land. There's a, there's a dearth. There's a drought. And God has this brook that doesn't dry up and ravens to feed him. All right, so then we go to verses 7 through 16. The brook actually does finally dry up. In verse 7, it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, that's our key again, right? Elijah's going to move at the word of the Lord. Came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. And we've heard lots of messages on that. Um, and we aren't going to talk about that tonight, but just a lot of really good truths in that story as well. He arises, goes to Zarephath, and we came to the gate of that city. This woman was there gathering sticks and so on. I'm not going to read that whole passage, but he moves to Zarephath at the word of the Lord. All right. Then here we go again. The widow's son dies in verses 17 through 24. And I would encourage you to go back and read this passage uh, it's just one thing after another after another until we get to our text. Um, but he goes, the, the widow's son dies. He raises him back to life in verses 17 through 24. And then in chapter 18, after three years of drought, look at chapter 18, verse 1. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, and show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. At the command of God again, he goes and stands before Ahab. But here he tells uh, Ahab, well, he, he goes to go before Ahab. And I think this is interesting. Um, in, in verse 2 of chapter 18, Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah. And then we see uh, verse 7. As Obadiah was in the way, behold, Elijah met him and knew him and fell on his face and said, Art thou the, that, my lord, Elijah? And he answered him, said, I am. Go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. Now this Obadiah had, had protected at least a hundred of God's servants, of God's men, because Ahab and Jezebel, I believe, the Bible doesn't tell us specifically why, but I believe because they knew this famine was from the God of Israel, they had started killing all these prophets. I don't know if it was in uh, uh, to be vindictive or if they were trying to sacrifice to Baal to try to get some rain, you got to realize three years, uh, we went probably three months one summer just a couple years ago without, with, and there was a little, little bit of rain here and there, but basically no rain, and the, the ground is just like concrete. Uh, you know, you, you stick a shovel in the ground, and it doesn't go in the ground. It scrapes dust. Three years. And I, I would imagine, in my mind, Ahab and Jezebel, they don't. They don't fear God. So they get angry. And start killing his men. And this Obadiah that, that Elijah meets uh, had, had protected some of these men. And it says that there uh, in verse 13. I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And now thou sayest, go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah's here. He'll slay me. Obadiah, he's a little bit scared here. There still hasn't been rain. There's nothing to have eased the, uh, the impatience of Ahab and Jezebel. But he... Um, Moving along, because that's, that's not the point I wanted to make here, but it's interesting. Um, 
Elijah meets Ahab, tells him to bring the prophets of Baal. And we have a showdown on top of Mount Carmel where Elijah calls down fire from heaven. That's from verses 17 through 40 of chapter 18. And you can read that on your own. And then he, after he calls down fire, what does he do to the prophets of Baal? He slaughters them. He kills them all. 450 of them. Uh, and I think it says that in verse 40. And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Um, so very, very interesting. But he does all this at the command of God. And, and that's important because we're going to make a point of that here in just a second. So Elijah prays down rain, command, and then in verse 41, this is also a neat story. Elijah tells Ahab, get off, the, off Mount Carmel and get to Jezreel before you can't because of the rain that's coming. And then on the top of that mountain, uh, Elijah prays in that rain. That, uh, in faith, he tells him it's going to rain. And then he, there is no clouds. Uh, we see that in verse uh, 43, he said to his servant, go and look toward the sea. He went up and looked and said, there's nothing. And he said, arise, go. And again, seven times he did this. And it came to pass the seventh time. He said, behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea. Uh, Elijah's praying on the top of this mountain. He's not just sitting there and saying, hey, go look again. Hey, go look again. He's, he's in fervent prayer. And we see that in verse um, 42. And he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. And then he tells his servant, go look for the, for the rain clouds. And, and uh, faith again, he sees the, the cloud the size of a man's hand. And he said, that's when he tells uh, Ahab, you better get off the mountain. Rain's coming and you better hurry up before you can't make it to Jezreel because of the rain. Uh, but then the interesting thing here is 40, verse 46 of chapter 18. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. He beats this chariot to Jezreel, and I looked it up. It says it's somewhere between 17 and 25 miles. Now you got to remember, he just did all that activity on the top of Mount Carmel. I mean, it, it certainly was a full day of, of all that went on with that. And then he... Uh, Runs before Ahab and gets to Jezreel before, before the chariot does. Very interesting story. Uh, but it says he did it in the strength. The hand of the Lord was on Elijah. He does it in God's strength. But he went there again at the command of God. God told him to go to Jezreel. And Ahab told Jezebel, verse 1 of 19, all that Elijah had done. And withal, how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me. And more also, if I make not thy life as one of them by tomorrow at this time. She says in 24 hours, why she gave him a window and didn't just kill him there, I think she didn't really want to kill him because remember on Mount Carmel, what did the people say? The Lord, he is God. So the people now are on Elijah's side, even though they're not, gonna, they're not worshiping God yet, they're on his side. And I think Jezebel probably is afraid uh, of hurting Elijah, but she wants to scare him. She wants him out of her uh, kingdom. And we see that that, that does happen. Um, so Elijah, in verse, verse 3, runs for his life. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. And uh, we're going to pray here and then continue on with this. But what do we not see in verse 3? And the Lord did not say, go to Beersheba. It says, when he saw that she was going to kill him, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. And uh, if you carry on, 
Well, we'll, we'll go over these last couple verses and then we'll pray. He says uh, in verse 9, and he came to, well, before that, he, he ends up under a juniper tree. He leaves his servant, ends up under a juniper tree, and, and the angel wakes him up and says, here, eat, which God provides for him here, but he says, eat this food, drink this water. And he lays down again. The angel wakes him up again in verse 7, feeds him and gives him water again and says, arise and eat because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the Mount of God. He goes from Beersheba to Horeb. If you look on your map, and the Thompsons would probably know better than I do, it's not that far. It's definitely not 40 days journey from Beersheba to Horeb. You'll see maps in the back of your Bible and you can kind of see it's, it's probably a day or two, but it's not, it's not 40 days. I think it's interesting that when the people of Israel left what God had told them to do, how long did they wander in the wilderness? 40 years. Ahab, Elijah here leaves not in the will of God and wanders for 40 days in the wilderness. Uh, and I don't think, Bible doesn't tell us, and I'll get to this in, in a little bit in the message, but I don't think that God's plan for, for Elijah was to, to travel in the wilderness for 40 days. I don't think that's the journey that's going to be too great for thee. I don't think that was what he was planning for him to do. But Elijah is not listening to God right now. Uh, even after all those victories that he had, he's not listening. And so he ends up wandering in the wilderness for 40 days. And at the end of verse 8, he sa it says, uh, he went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights. Also interesting, the, the children of Israel wandered in the, in the wilderness their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes didn't wear out. They, he provided their food. Even though they were in rebellion, he was still providing for them. He goes in the strength of that meat 40 days, 40 nights, unto Horeb, the Mount of God. Do you know, where, do you know what another name for Mount Horeb is? What's another name? What is the other name for Mount Horeb? Does anybody know? Yes. Whoever's saying it. It's Mount Sinai. What happened on Mount Sinai? God met with Moses there and gave him the Ten Commandments. This is the mount of God that Elijah comes to. And I think it's very interesting. I don't know why he comes to the mount of God. Is it for protection? Is it because he knows nobody else is coming up there? Is it because it's far enough outside of Jezebel's territory that uh, he's going to be safe there? Or is it because he came there to meet God? All of those are possibilities. Um, but God didn't send him there. And the reason I know that is in verse Number nine, he came thither unto a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, what doest thou here, Elijah? Not that God didn't know he was there, but God was not wanting him. He wasn't expecting him to be there. He was expecting him to be where he had planned for him to be on that journey that was going to be too great for him. And we're going to pray here, and then we'll get into this question. What doest thou here, Elijah? All right, let's pray, and we'll get into it. Father, thank you for this day you've given us. Thank you for this uh, story here of your man. God, just a wonderful story of some mighty, mighty things that you empowered Elijah to do. But God, I pray that you'd help us to learn from this, uh, this question. What are we doing here in this place that, that God has not led us to? And uh, God, I just pray that you would meet with us tonight, that you'd feed us, that you'd just help us to uh, really look at our lives and see uh, what it is that we're doing. Is it, is it your will? Is it what you've called us to do? And uh, God, I pray that you just uh, give us something from this tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. That's the question I want to look at tonight. What doest thou here? Uh, Elijah is fine, but 
I'm leaving Elijah off. What doest thou here? We're going to take that question straight out of the Bible. So, we finally get to our text in verses 8 through 14. And the reason this is, he asked this question two times. One in, in verse 9, and also again in verse 14. He said, I have been very jealous, or, or verse 13, sorry. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? Now, in between verses 9 and 13, there's some very uh, interesting things happen. We're not going to talk about them tonight, but... The, the, the earthquake happens, the fire happens, uh, the wind. Um, that's a whole nother message, a whole nother Bible study. We're not going to talk about that tonight, but very, very interesting thing. And, and God says, uh, or the Bible says, God was not in any of those things. He was in a still, small voice. But the question he's asking Elijah is, what are you doing here? And I wrote these things down. Um, uh, Depending on the emphasis, what, you, what word you emphasize in this little phrase, it, the question means different things, right? Uh, so the first thing I, I wrote down is, what are you doing here? I turned my page too quick. I need that back. What are you doing here? Um, I think this, I, I've asked this question to Emma before. I've asked this question to the dog before. When he gets into something, what in the world are you doing? I don't really care what he's actually doing. I'm saying, what, what are you doing? Um, so that, that's one way. Uh, a parent finds a kid in the, in the middle of some repeat offense that they've done the same thing over and over and says, what do you think you're doing? You ever heard that, Alex? What are you doing? It's not, it's, a, it's, a, it's not actually a question. It's more of a statement. What are you doing? The second thing is, uh, or the, the next one is, what if you emphasize you? Um, maybe you see somebody, you're in a place and, and you're five or six states away uh, and you see somebody you know and you say, what are you doing here, right? What are you doing here? I didn't expect to see you here. Uh, so emphasize the word you and the, and the question changes. Uh, doing kind of, kind of uh, has the same thing, same, same question as what are you doing here? But I remember a couple years ago, I'm not, I don't know the, which basketball teams it was, but it was in the NBA. And uh, I remember specifically LeBron, LeBron James was part of this uh, play. But it was the very end of a game, and uh, LeBron James's team, whatever team he was on at the time, was down by one point. There was a couple seconds left. Somebody shoots a shot. Somebody on his team gets the offensive rebound right under the rim. All they got to do is take it back up for a layup, right? And they win the game. It's over. Well, apparently this guy, thinking they were ahead, grabs the rebound and takes off dribbling to get out to the three-point the three line so that nobody can get the ball from him. The clock runs out, and they lose the game. He thought they were ahead by one point. And the whole crowd, the announcers, everybody... His teammates are saying, what are you doing? So the emphasis on the word doing changes the question, okay? What are you doing? What are you doing? And then the last one, what are you doing here? Changes the question again. I remember when I was a freshman in college, uh, from, from high school to college to me was such a big jump, uh, different, and everything was different. And I remember my freshman year, I got a list of all my classes and all the places that those classes were supposed to be. It's very confusing, to me at least it was. Maybe I, I think I probably was a little bit slow, uh, a slow bloomer as they say. But anyways, 
Um, I ended up in a, in a classroom, and I'm looking at my schedule, and it's the first week or so of, of class classes, and I'm in this room, and people are filtering in, and it's all girls. And I'm going, okay, the guys, I'm sure the guys are, they're coming. The class gets ready to start, and it's me with a whole class of girls. I have no idea what the class was, but the teacher said, what are you doing here? And I said, I think I might be in the wrong place. She said, this is, I don't know what class. I'm like, yeah, this, I'm in the wrong place. But the question changed again. What are you doing here? Okay. And so the question then is, which one, which one was God emphasizing to Elijah? And I think the answer is, all, yes, all of them. He was emphasizing all of them. What are you doing here? And that's what we're going to look at very, very quickly. For ourselves, this is a question that God is asking us. What are you doing here? It's not always a bad question. Maybe it's uh, something that we look in introspective and say, well, what am I doing? What, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? If you are, great. But what am I doing? What am I, what am I doing? It's important that I look at me and what am I doing here, okay? So first, the first thing is, the first point is what doest? What are you doing? And uh, I, think, I think this question for sure comes out of, it's from a, from a place of reproof for Elijah. What are you doing here? Elijah, I sent you to Ahab. I sent you to Cher the brook Cherith. I sent you to Zarephath, to that woman. I sent you back to Elijah. I didn't send you here. What are you doing here? And um, I, think, I think we do that sometimes. We get out of the will of God and if we're listening to God, he is asking us, hey, what are you doing here? But the emphasis here is what are you doing? Okay. And so uh, turn to Psalm chapter 139. We, we are kind of uh, out of 1 Kings, even though all of our points will come from that question. But turn to Psalm chapter 139 in verse 7. And I think we're familiar with this passage. Uh I think Elijah possibly had run to, to Mount Horeb, hoping not to have to uh, be called on by God anymore to go to this rebellious people. I've done all of this, and they will not change. Just stop asking me to go to them. Um, Jonah kind of did that. Uh, we, we know his story. Uh, but we also know that uh, Elijah was done serving, because remember under the juniper tree, what does he say? Just let me die here. Uh, and you see that in, in chapter 18, but he says, or, or chapter 19. Uh, but he himself, verse 4, went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. He said, it's enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. He, he's ready to die. I'm done with this people. So I think Elijah maybe comes to Mount Horeb just to, just to get far enough away from the nation of Israel that he doesn't have to go to them anymore. But we see in, verse, in chapter uh, 139 of Psalms, in verse 7, you can't get away from God, especially when he has something for you to do. But verse 7, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. God especially for his children, uh, is going to track us down. And sometimes uh, it's, it's by gracious persuasion he gets us back to do what we're supposed to do, and sometimes it's by grave trials that he has to 
force us back into his will. Um, what doest thou here, Elijah? Uh, God is very interested in our service for him. And so he, he wasn't just asking him a rhetorical question. He was saying, what are you doing? I've, th- I've given you lists, all this stuff to do. What are you doing here? Remember, the, the angel feeds him and gives him water based on a very big task that, that God has for him because the journey is going to be too great for you, Elijah. I don't think, again, like I said before, I don't think that task was to, to wander in the wilderness for 40 days. I think God had something for him, and Elijah gets out of God's will and runs to Mount Horeb. Ran to a good place, but he's not doing what God wants him to do. God is very interested in what we are, what we're doing. Uh, and I wrote down a couple of things. What service are you involved in? And by service, I don't necessarily mean uh, that you need to be up in front of church. You know, oh, I can't ever do that. That's fine. But what service are you involved in? What work for the Lord have you taken up and leaned your shoulder into to lighten the burden of another? I mean, that's some, it could be simple things. Uh, people have jumped in with both feet to help with Miss Barbara and to help some of the others that have been sick and going through things. That's, that's good. That's service. Uh, Bible, God says, uh, whatever you've done, uh, a, cold, a cup of cold water, you've done it in my name. You've done it to me. Even if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it for me. That's, that's service that we should be doing. But I wrote this, what? No work? No service? You have no task that you've picked up and called your own in, in, in this church, in the body of Christ? You have no task that you've called your own? Uh, this is what God was asking Elijah. You're doing nothing when I have a task lined up for you to do? Um, and that's a whole other message for another time. Pastor talks about it all the time. If God has you to, to witness to this person, you are the plan for him to see this person saved, and you don't do it. Who, who is hurt by that? You are somewhat, but that person, they might not ever get another chance. Josh, Brother Josh talked about that on Sunday morning, that blood will be on your hands. That's who God had for you uh, to witness to. But service is not just witnessing. Uh, it is not enough to show up at the church house And soak in the messages week after week. God has designed his people to learn and then go out and teach others also. That's our job. What service are you involved in? What are you doing Uh, is the emphasis of this this question. Um, I'll give you the references here, but I'm not going to read them all. But I think sometimes we get so engrossed in the affairs of this world, politics, uh, our careers, our toys, our entertainment, our pleasures, and those are not all bad, but we get so engrossed in them uh, that we fail to realize that our exertions for the Lord have become non-existent. I I think we get so comfortable that we don't even realize we've stopped doing anything. Um, For 40 days, remember, 40 days and 40 nights, Elijah's not involved in any work for the Lord. And then he comes to Horeb and, and... Lodges in a cave, and it doesn't tell us how long it was before God came to him, but I think it was some time before God finally comes and says, what are you doing here? I am, I'm waiting for you to be in this task, and, and I, I finally had to come find you because you're not doing it. Um, and I think the uh, application to us is very clear there. What are you supposed to be doing that God is trying to get you involved in and you're not doing it? Um, but I do think that it, I have to mention this. 
that there are times that we, we must wait upon the Lord. So I don't want to say that Elijah is completely wrong for going to Horeb and just waiting on God. Um, but when we're waiting on God, that doesn't mean sitting and doing absolutely nothing. That means waiting in a certain place, still maybe working, but waiting for him before we move. And we see that all over the Bible. But 2 Thessalonians 3.13, But ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing. James 2.14, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Doing. Matthew 5.16, Let your lights shine that they may see your good works. And so on and so forth. There are many, many verses that we're supposed to be doing. Uh, even when we are waiting, because the Bible says, wait. Uh, Isaiah 40, 31. We've got to wait on him to renew our strength. Um, but even in our waiting, we need to be doing for the Lord. Uh, James 1, 27 is another one. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. Visit the widow, fatherless and widows in their affliction and keep himself unspotted from the world. We should be doing. So first, that's the first point and, and the longest. Uh, what are we doing? And I have one final uh, point on that is it's in the present tense, doing. And it's, it's interesting that God asks him a second time because look at verse 10, what Elijah's answer is to God saying, what are you doing right now? What are you doing? He says, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. He didn't say, what have you done? He said, what are you doing right now? And I think that's very easy to apply to us again. What are you doing now? Oh, uh, back when I was younger, I used to go knocking on doors. Brother Josh mentioned this. I used to run a bus route. I used to be an usher. I used to, used to, that's not what he's asking. What are you doing now? What are you doing right now? All right, and then the second point, thou. So let's emphasize the word thou. What doest thou? Here, and this is a short, short point, but I want you to go to John chapter 21, John chapter 21 and verse 18, and you will recognize this story as soon as we start reading it, and we'll get there in just a minute. That's Luke chapter 21. Let's go to John chapter 21. But um, this is where this question to Elijah and to us it's very personal. And I think God is very, very interested in us personally. What doest thou? Well, my church is having a friend day. No, what are you doing? What are you doing for God? Uh, well, you know, we, we hand out Bibles. You do. How many times have you been there? Uh, well, we, we uh, have an Easter service where we, what are you doing? Now, you can be part of that. We, that's good. But what are you doing? Uh, to help with that. Um, we see Elijah, obviously, here in verse 10, thought he was the only one left serving God. He didn't know there were 7,000 others. But even if he had known there were 7,000 others, guess what God was not interested in not asking Elijah? Hey, what are those other 7,000 doing for me? He wants to know what Elijah is doing for him right now in that time. And he's, and he's, and he's asking us the same thing. And go to, you're in John chapter 21, so let's look at that. I turned away from 1 Kings, so I'm trying to get back there because I want to be able to reference. John chapter 21, and look at verse 18. We have this example of Peter. Uh, this story is, is uh, Jesus asks Peter, lovest thou me? And he asked him several times, God, you know I love you. And he says, 
feed my lambs, feed my sheep. But in verse 18, he says, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, this is Jesus talking to Peter, and walkest, walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. And verse 19 is an interesting verse. This spake he, signifying but by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Here's where our point comes in. Then Peter, turning around, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loveth or loved following. And he describes this disciple, which also leaned on, on his breast at supper, describes him again, and he's the same one that also said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? And Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? And here's the point of this, of this passage. Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? You follow me. I don't care about anybody else. You follow me. And I think, and we see in verse 23, Then went this saying abroad among the brethren that the disciples should not die. Yet Jesus didn't say that. He said, what is it to thee if, I, if he tarry till I come? And I'm paraphrasing a little bit there. But the point is, Jesus is telling Peter, don't worry about John. You worry about you, uh, because that's what I'm interested in. What are you doing for me? And again, the application is, is very simple here. Not what is your church doing. What are you doing for God? Um, what are you doing to see souls saved? What are you doing to help the ministries here? What are you doing to edify the body of Christ? First Corinthians is very clear about that. We are to edify the body of Christ. Each member in the body is supposed to be a help to that body. What are you doing to be a help to that body? And, and same thing, this goes along with this whole question is very important. What doest thou here? But what are you, you doing in the church? Because there are tasks or uh, responsibilities in the church that God has set aside for you to do, and they're not being done because you aren't doing them. Now, whose job is it to find out what those are? That's, that's my job, to, to uh, ask God, what do you want me involved in? Or maybe go ask the pastor, hey, what needs done? That's a good way to find out what, what God wants you to do at the church. Ask what needs done. What are you doing? And then the last point is here. What are you doing here? Uh, and I don't mean at this church. Uh, I'm glad everybody's here at this church. It's, 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 a, it's a blessing to pastor. I know uh, when God called him to come start this church, if nobody ever showed up at the church, you'd start to question, am I in the right place? Am I supposed to be here uh, at this church? But um, here, I think, is a little more... Um, a little more thought-provoking, and here's some questions uh, for here. What are you doing here uh, so far from home for Elijah? You're, you're way far from the place I called you to be, so far from home. Uh, and I wrote this down. Has your faith in God waned so much that you've fled in fear of a mere mortal named Jezebel? I think that's God's question to, to Elijah. But it's the same for us. What are you doing here not witnessing to anybody on your job site. Are you so afraid of them making fun of you or calling you reverend? I know that used to be a thing back in the day. If you were in a factory and you witnessed, they called you reverend from there on out. But people are, are needy and they, they are interested and they are hungry for what you have 
what God has already given you, and, and are we so afraid of them? What are you doing here in that state, I would, I would say. But here's some more questions. What are you doing here? Has God found you in a, in a backslidden state? What are you doing there? Pastor preaches all the time. It, you, you have no excuse in this church for being in a backslidden state because I didn't know. I didn't know how to get close to God. You hear the preaching. Read your Bible. Pray. Walk with God. That'll get you out of a backslidden state. And I understand that's the definition of backslidden. You, you don't care about those things. But what God's question to you is, what are you doing there? We got to get out of that. What are you doing here in this rebellious state? The pastor preaches, I am not changing that. Why? What are you doing there in that position? What about in this depressed or anxious state? Uh, Bible's very clear, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, let your request be made known unto God, and, and many, many verses like that. I understand personalities are different. We, we have people that are, are anxious, that are, but we don't get to stay there just because that's me. What are you doing in that state? I think that's a, a very good question for us. What about this? What are you doing here in this proud, unleadable state? I, I say this all the time, that if we can't be led by a pastor, by our pastor, that's not the pastor's fault. That's my fault, that I won't be led. And I'm so proud that I cannot be told uh, what to do. And there's lots and lots of Christians out there that are like that. Let's not be that. And God's question to us, if you are in that position, what are you doing there? Be soft and moldable and leadable. Uh, and the last question I have is, what are you doing here in this lax, I don't know what the word is, but unurgent state? Uh, lax about holiness, lax about winning souls, lax about having a heart for God. What are you doing there? And it's a rhetorical question. Get out of that position. And I think that's God's question to Elijah was a rhetorical question. He wasn't saying... What are you doing here? And Elijah, because Elijah tries to answer, uh, I've been jealous. God wasn't asking. He's trying to get him to think, what are, what are you doing? And what are you doing here? Um, I wrote this down, and then we'll close here in just a minute or two. Maybe he's saying, I've called you to minister and edify the body of Christ, and I already touched on this, in this certain ministry. And here you sit in the pew, in a good place, enjoying the worship and enjoying the praise of God's people, but you're in the wrong place. You're supposed to be the one edifying the body of Christ. And God asks to us, what are you doing? He's given us talents. He's given us things that he, he wants us to use for his glory and for his church. And we're sitting there keeping them to ourselves. What are you doing there? Um, does God have a specific place for you, but you are absent from that post? The question that we need to ask ourselves um, Turn to Ezekiel. This is the last place we'll turn, and then we'll end. Ezekiel chapter 22. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30. And because I think often this happens. God has a place for you. And what happens when you're not in that place? Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. The Bible says, and I sought for a man among them that should make up the, a man or a woman, by the way. Uh, man is, is just talking about man in general. I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. What would happen? I found none. 
And I think God was probably at that time going to all these people and saying, what are you doing here? I have a gap that you need to fill. Hey, what are you doing here? I, need a, I have a gap that you're supposed to be filling. But I found none. And I hope that, that that can never be said about our church or us as individuals. I had a place for you. I went to that spot looking for you, and there was a gap there. You didn't fill it up. And, uh, and we'll end with this. This very, very personal question to each one of us back in 1 Kings chapter 19. What doest thou here? And put your name in the blank. What are you doing? What are you doing? And what are you doing here? In these different situations, in these different uh, attitudes uh, that are not pleasing to God. What are you doing in that spot? But also a physical spot here in this church. What are you doing I'm not saying, what are you doing here in this church? You should be gone. I'm saying, what are you doing here for God's work in this church? Uh, something that I hope, hopefully is a challenge to you. It's a challenge more than anything else uh, to, to look at ourselves and see if we're doing exactly what God wants us to be doing. If you can be doing more and you should be doing more, let's do more. If uh, God is saying, hey, you know, there's a ministry that I want to start. I've laid it on the pastor's heart. The pastor's mentioned it, but there's nobody to fill in the gap so that ministry doesn't start. We need to be filling that gap, doing our part. Uh, and God is asking us that. What are you doing right here in this church? All right, let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, I thank you for this day you've given us. God, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the mighty stories in it, God. But I pray that we would never look at them as just stories. I, look, I pray that we'd look at them and apply them to our own lives. These were mighty Men of God, Elijah was a mighty man of God that did so much for you, and you still went to him in his weakness and in his inactivity, asking him what, what it is that he's doing for you. And uh, God, I think some of us go weeks and months, maybe years without serving you. And the question for each one of us is, what, what is it that you're doing for the Lord here in this place that we've been called to? I pray that we'd look at our hearts, that we'd uh, be open to anything that you have for us. Uh, well, God, I pray that we'd surrender ourselves to you. Uh, we have such little time on this earth uh, to serve you. And uh, God, I pray that that time wouldn't be eaten up with uh, our own pleasures and our own things, but that we would uh, realize that that little time was given to you, to us by you, and you have a job for us to do. And pray that as we leave here tonight, that we would uh, be looking for that, for that spot, looking for those things, those activities that you have us uh, to be a part of, to edify you your church and to, and to uh, win the lost world around us. And uh, God, that this church will go forward for you uh, in a strong way with strong believers making it up uh, that will not back down on truth, but also we don't just keep that truth here in this church and, and amen it when it's preached, but we take it outside of these walls and spread it around to the community and bring souls in here. God, I do pray as we uh, go out and start uh, inviting for our friend day, now that you'd uh, lead us to those that you'd have us uh, to invite here. And those that we are supposed to bring here, I pray that we would not shirk our duty and, and not invite them. God, I pray that we would uh, see this place full so that the gospel can be preached and we can see uh, souls touched for you. pray that you give us a good rest of our week as we go our separate ways. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.